Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I'm super, super excited to be joined by Dr. Denisha Keating today. She is a former foster youth. She is a bio mom. She is a kinship caregiver. She is basically a queen in all the things. So can you just Thank you. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your story? And um, yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I was in the foster care system for a little while and, uh, born and raised with all 11 siblings of mine. Um, but I'm number four of 11. And so that comes with big kid responsibilities. Um, when I was in high school is when we actually entered into the foster care system. Um, but it wasn't the only time. So after I aged out, um, I was actually told at 18 in my senior year, like you're out, get out of your sister's house, like you're on your own. Uh, which is not great, um, but it's still happening to foster youth today, which is very sad. Um, and then went to college and was immediately homeless. Um, I was probably homeless from the age of 18 to 24. And I just kind of house hopped between people that I would meet uh, or friends' houses. And then I had lived in my car for about a year uh, and then got my own apartment and then immediately took in siblings uh, within a few months of moving in. And I've been doing that since. And then, yeah, <laughs> that's me. Wow. That is, <laughs> it's amazing. But so, I mean, when you, you know, had this, you know, kind of difficult start, obviously, in, in life, what did you, did you always intend that like you were going to care for your younger siblings someday? Or was that just something that happened once you got that first place? No, I think it was always in like, in my head, I did always kind of think like, this is my responsibility. This is my job. This is my role. Um, that's actually why I started college was because I realized what I was making wasn't good enough. Um, and you see patterns in your family to where you're like, if this were to happen again, I need to be ready. Uh, and I remember working at a warehouse, driving a forklift and, and someone approached me and just was like, Hey girl, this is not the job for you. Like you're doing a great job, but this is where you stop. Like, this is where mm -hmm. you don't get to go further in this role. They'll tell you and make promises that you'll get into the office or get a better job, but it's really not true. And they had been doing it for decades. Um, and she told me, she's like, you have the ability to go to school. There's nothing really blocking you. Um, go, <laughs> go do it. And I was like, okay. Um, but I knew in the back of my head, like if, if something goes down, I need to be ready. And I was not ready <laughs> when it went down, but I got ready and I kept going to school and getting my degrees done because I knew in order to make money, um, in the jobs that I wanted to do, I wanted to teach in college. I knew I needed some sort of bit like bigger degree. And as I started going to college and seeing like, Oh, it just doesn't hit your, in your mind. You don't really see it where you're like, Oh, I could be a professor. Like, I didn't know that there were teachers here. Like you just doesn't connect until you're there. And I was like, I want to do this. I don't really want to teach over here. I want to teach over here. And, um, really fell in love with just helping students who were in college. There's not a lot of support. Like there is support, but it's very on our own. Like we have to access everything and go for everything. And I realized like I struggled, others were probably struggling too. And so I went on an adventure of education um, and went all the way to my, my PhD. Oh my goodness. Okay. So what is your PhD in? What do you teach? Yes. So I uh, am in general psychology is what I teach, but I teach anywhere between bachelor's all the way up to uh, PhD level students. And a lot of it is developmental psychology and some 
like things like child adolescence, like how do we develop? How do we do this, this and that? And it's interesting because it's like, that's what I teach now. Um, but I didn't know that that was what I was going to teach until I got hired. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's really full circle because that was one of the classes that I took in the beginning of my college days. And I fell in love with it, but also was bawling my eyes out because the book we were reading was on a case study of a family. And I like went to my teacher and I was like, did you stalk my family? Because this is my life. And she's like, no. And I'm like, why would you put this in here? And she's like, it's not me. It's a book we're reading. And she's like, I was like, did the author stalk my family? And she's like, I don't know. But I was like, it was just like eye opening to where it's like, oh, abuse like this happens. This is what it is to be called a narcissist. This is real narcissism. This is real abuse. This is things that I wasn't even dealing with emotionally. Cause I was just like, it happens, get over it, walk o- like walk away, go make your life better. But until you really deal with that, of what you went through, um, you don't see how you're still reacting in that hurt in other mm-hmm. areas of, of your life. And in a lot of friendships, I, I was really easy to cut things off and people off like, you did something wrong. And I'm like, you're done. That's it. We're over. Bye. <laughs> and people are like, wow, you're really cold. And I was like, whatever. Now I give chances, but it's still that knee jerk reaction is to be like, okay, you messed up once. See you later. <laughs> and that's yeah. not, not good. Uh, but now I get to teach it. And it is, it's incredible being able to be on this side of things and kind of see like, how can I love on students? Now, not every student takes that love. <laughs> it's really sometimes I'm like, um, but a lot of them appreciate like getting another chance to do an assignment or just being warned like, hey, we're talking about suicide and anxiety and depression. We're talking about abuse. These are heavy topics. Take your time on this assignment. And they're like, no one's ever told me that before. Um, but it's it's been a lot of fun and really interesting to see like that full circle moment. That is amazing. And I just, I love that when you said it was developmental psychology, I was like, oh my goodness. Like that is literally, <laughs> yeah. wow. Um, yeah. That's yeah. so amazing. And just the fact that you're giving your students like that little bit of extra support and love that like they might not expect at a college level, because like you said, most professors a lot that I remember are like, well, sorry, here's the due date. See you later. Like, you know, and so yeah. just to have that different approach is amazing. I just remember being in some of my classes and and things things happened. You know, I took my siblings in or there was one in my doctoral program, I had a miscarriage. And I remember writing to my professor and just being like, hey, I'm having a really hard time. This is what went, this is what went on and happened. And she's just like, if you need to drop the class. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And, but she's like, let me know what you need. Um, and I was like, okay. And I finished the class and she's like, I'm so impressed with you. And, but like, please rest now that it's Christmas at that point. And I've had other students come with things like that and deaths of family members or just plain exhausted from a long work week and them just saying, can I get an extension or pray for me? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like take your time because it's there. We need grace in, in higher education, but it's, we're there to learn. And half the time we're not getting that opportunity. We're just getting a grade doc down. And I'm like, I can't play that game. Like I'm here to teach you, even if, you know, no one else (laughs) cares about that. I I try my hardest to be like, let's do this the right way. So you learn something versus continuing that mistake. Mm -hmm. I love that perspective so much. And I'm sure your students do too. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about like when you were in, you said you're in foster care in high school, just Mm -hmm. for how long about was that? 
So it was a couple days before my 16th birthday. Okay. And then I aged out at 18. Okay. In the same yeah. home? Um, no. So I was first in uh, one foster parent's home, then with my sister. And then as soon as, even though I was still a senior, um, I was bouncing around from friends' houses because there wasn't consistency to getting me to school. Uh, so I kind of house hopped a lot. Um, and then when I turned 18, just to get to graduation, I ha- house hopped even more because my birthday's in October and the school year ended in June. So it was like, I had all of that time to be like, I got to finish school. Um, wow. and, and that was definitely like, I just remember being at somebody's house at least for a week and then flipping to somebody else's house and then flipping to somebody else's house. And it was a lot, uh, but I would just do that. Yeah. So who was supporting you at that time? Like what supports did you have in your life when you were going through all of that? Like tumultuous time. Yeah. So uh, a lot of friends, I don't think a lot of people actually knew what was going on. Um, but it was just, I was in color guard and choir. And so I hung out a lot at school. I would go to school from like six o'clock in the morning to 9 PM at night. And then I'd go to a friend's house and just stay there and sleep there. Um, so there was parents, whoever was there. And then that was, that was pretty much the support I had. Mm Hmm. Wow. And then you're one of 11. So you have a lot of younger siblings. What, like, what was their situation? I imagine there were a lot of different placements for you guys. So originally we were at three different homes and then we were all placed under my sister. And then my dad got custody back of some of the kids. And so it was kind of like, we just kept moving, you know, and it was kind of like, that's just kind of what happened. So even though they weren't considered multiple placements, we were being placed multiple times. Um, because once they, once you go back with family, they don't really count it. Even if it's a sister or an aunt or uncle or grandma, they just count it as family. And on paper, it looks like we're in one house, but we're actually not, we're in multiple houses. Um, and that was, that was a reality for us is that we were in multiple houses throughout that three years. Once I turned 18, they actually closed the entire case down. Um, and, then every everything was kind of shut down for then. Uh, and then in 2015, everything happened where um, my, yeah, life happened and I had to take my siblings in again. Mm-hmm. That was hard. <laughs> yes. And so are, are you caring for any siblings right now? Yeah. So my brother still lives with me. Um, in 2015, I actually took in five siblings. Um, they were ages 19, 18, 15, 14, and 12. Um, and so there was a lot of things I learned through guardianship. Um, and in California, we have we have two different types. We have kinship and guardianship. And I had guardianship. So it's less known uh, around a lot of people are like, oh, kinship. I'm like, yes, but no, it's different. Because <laughs> yeah. um, kinship has support, most of the time has support financially, but guardianship does not. Oh, my word. Like, I know. It what? makes everyone mad. <laughs> Yeah. So the the financial support that I got with guardianship was only based off my income. Um, so I got like state aid for groceries and for some cash. Um, but that total was 680 for cash. And then as, as the time went on, as I made more money, as the kids got older, that decreased, um, I think from like 2015 to 17, I qualified for it, but it kept getting flagged because I had the same last name they did when I, before I got married. Um, and then by that point, I was like, I'm so done, like having you rip apart my finances and degrade me because, you know, I had one, one caseworker was like, you should know how to finance $5,500. That's what you get paid. And I was like, you don't get to say this. And I'm like, you don't understand. And I, I even said, I was like, you don't get to tell me that. 
And he's Mm -hmm. like, you just need to be better at financial planning. That's why you're struggling. And I was like, no, these are not my kids. And like, it got flagged repeatedly. And when you get flagged, uh, they put it under as fraud. Um, And so I had to submit everything and fight for stuff for three to four months. And then it would get released again. Um, But they kept flagging it because my last name was the same as theirs before I got Oh, it was very my word. So just to like make it nice and easy for you to go ahead and take in, take in everyone and be, I mean, you were young, like you were young. I was 24. Wow. I was 24 and now I'm um, 34. So it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, just turned 34. And when I first started, it was just one brother, then it was two brothers. And then a couple months later, it was the rest of them. And I just remember it was, it was November of 2015 that I had all five of them in my one bedroom, one bathroom apartment. Um, it was 500 square feet. We were there for nine months. And it was just like that, like constant reminder of you did the right thing. You were told you would get all this financial support. But then once the judge signed guardianship, it was very rushed. And then the court or the, the caseworker is just like, not my problem anymore. You'll be over here and go go to them and then they just like kept putting me in loops so it was really hard because when i talk with casas or i share that with people they're like but denisha you could have become a foster parent i said i know no one ever told me that what i was told was if you put them back in foster care we will allow you to go through the process but that could take two years um and then you can get the financial help if money is what you care about and i was like oh we're done talking Um, that's why I stopped with all of the pursuing of it was just because it was like, they were in my life so much where it was just like everything. I felt so exposed, Mm -hmm. but it was in the, it was like, I had to prove that I wasn't doing anything wrong and that I was struggling. But I'm like, if you look at my bank, if you looked up there in the house, you'll see it. And they're just like, well, how do we know you're not lying? And I'm like, we're, we're done talking. (laughs) Wow. It was a lot. It was a lot. That is so terrible that you were treated that way. And I mean, just I imagine the resilience that it takes, like come through all of like, just like clawing your way, like through yeah. life at that point. Right. With trying to raise. Oh, like, absolutely. Your yeah. You know. Well, and it's still the, the hard part is, is that it's still impacted my life even 10 years later because of the things it did to my credit. Like I took out credit cards, I took out apartments and then not being able to like afford to have someone come and clean it. And then it's like those deemed my credit horribly for, well, I'm just starting to see like an improvement <laughs> in my credit, but it was like, people are just like, well, you just didn't ask. And I'm like, no, I did. Like I really did. I promise. Um, and I, I think for some, some areas and some people, it's easier to get access to things versus others. Um, and in the county that we were in, a lot of people have said, no, this county just, they do not walk people through kinship and guardianship. And if you don't know someone who knows someone, you're stuck in this loophole of believing what your caseworker says. Um, and everyone I know who has had guardianship here in California, in the particular county that we were in, um, none of them got financial resources. And they were like, oh, so, and told the same thing. Like, you have to give them to foster care, then become a foster parent, and then go through that process, and then we'll give them back. And it's like, that's not worth it to yeah. to put the kids through, just so that way you guys don't have to do paperwork. Um, right. But that, it was a reality. It really sucked. But it's one of those things that I think kind of pushed me to be like, I'm on my own. I got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, what I did notice is like pushing through my bachelor's and my master's and my PhD. I did all three of those in the span of 13 years. Um, wow. it took me eight years to get 
eight years to get my bachelor's done, a year to get my master's done and my PhD in three and a half years. But I stopped celebrating those things because I was just like, I got to go, got to go. And so when I got done (laughs) to the finish line, I'm just like, okay, well, what now? Like, where do I go now? And having to like the last three years has been like sitting back and realizing like, I've done a lot, but it still doesn't register all the way up here. It's kind of like, yeah, I did what I had to do. It's like, no, like where you went when you were sleeping in your car to now where you own your own home, like that, that's crazy. It's insane. It's great. But it's like, wow, like you were there, you know, but it, you feel disconnected sometimes from what really happened. Mm. I can imagine. And you, I mean, just having been through kind of all different sides of the system, like you kind of have seen so much of it as, you know, someone with that lived experience, (laughs) what would you say to, you know, foster parents who are maybe new or contemplating, someone's contemplating foster care? What should we do? What should we know that would make things better for kids in our care? Yeah, I think there's there. I think a lot of people think foster caring is the only way, like being a foster parent is the only way. Um, but we need more people in every area. We need people supporting foster parents, helping the bio family, being a mentor to that foster youth. Like there are so many important roles, but we automatically assume like the only thing we need to do is be a foster parent. And I'm like, if you could just take a meal to a foster parent that you know, that's going to help them not have the stress every week, even if it's once a month, like just that one time a month to have a break from cooking, that would be an amazing amazing thing. Um, One of the hardest things I think is we don't know how to advocate until we've learned. So it's being okay with just saying, okay, what am I advocating for? And how do I do that? And why do I do that? Um, Because it, it can get, we can get lost in the emotions of all the things that go wrong, but there are a lot of good people and a lot of things that can go right for families. And if we could just be that light in a system that is going to be better. And and I know um, her name's Angela Tucker and I love following her on Instagram, but she said something to be like, she just said, we are the system now. And a lot of us can get so frustrated and be like, oh, the system and the system. And she's like, no, 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 guys, we are the system. And so it's like, if we're the system, there is multiple positions that we get to play. We could advocate, we can be a foster parent, we could be a mentor, we could be someone who's just simply pouring into the foster family. But what we don't want to do is just say somebody else has it. Somebody else is going to do it. Not my problem. Because it is our problem. Um, I think then the hard reality, and I'm going to say this, is it is easier for us to care about people across the world than it is to care about people in our own backyard. Um, and I see it all the time where it's like, hey, I would love for you to help our counties. Our counties are currently drowning across the country where we need more parents, foster parents to step in and kids are sleeping in CPS offices on the floor and people go, "Mm, not my problem. But you, soon as they see something across the world, they're like, I need to fight for this. I need to fight against it. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. But there's something we can do right here, right now in our own community that would impact the entire world. And if we can do that together, that is a bigger, bigger thing that's going to go long term than us just saying, nope, not my problem. Um, but again, it's just like, we don't all have to be foster parents. Um, some organizations need money and people are like, I have money. <laughs> some people need cars um, and you have a car sitting in your driveway. Donate that to a young adult. They might need tires. Like I remember my tire popping and I drove around on a donut for six months and someone saw and went, 
go get your tire changed. And I was like, I don't have money. And they pulled out their wallet and said, go get a tire that's dangerous for you to be driving on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but it was something that, that helped, you know, and that's just the little things that we can do. Mm, I love that. And it's such an important thing to remember, because I think you're right. Like it's something, it, it makes us feel differently to be like, oh, I'm helping someone far away. And like, if you want to do that, amazing. That's great. Yeah. We cannot neglect the need in our own country, in our own County of like mm-hmm. kids that are sleeping in offices. And, and I think, yeah, to that point, like we don't, if we don't have to know about it, almost we don't, we don't, because it's not on the news really. You know what I mean? Like occasionally there'll be a, a story and you're like, wow, that's, yeah. oh my gosh, can you believe that? But it's happening yeah. every day and people aren't aware. Mm-hmm. I And I think the hardest part is that it's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the foster care community, you don't know about it. And so it's like, hey, why are we not sharing about this information? And it's like, call even even just calling like the local county office and being like, hey, I have a question. Can we deliver pizza to you guys? Because the kids are, we know that there are kids there. That's all I can do today. Mm-hmm. Then send pizza. But most of the time is we don't know the information. And and I think, and this is something I'm struggling with, I think more is there is a lot of like, don't do this, don't do that, do this, say this, don't say that. And it can get overwhelming that you're just like, Ugh, forget about it. I don't even want to get involved. And it's like, time out, like, don't, don't get caught up in the language or the issue of it being done like this, like come in and say, what can I do? What can I do to help? Um, and for me, like I've, I get it all the time <laughs> where I talk about this and people are like, so why are you not fostering still? And I'm like, I'm on a, I'm on a season of rest because I have been in this since I was 13, um, now mm-hmm. 34. So that tells you that's a long time. And, and that I need that rest- restoration, but I'm still advocating. I'm still sharing my story. I'm still mm-hmm. going out there and doing stuff. I'm just not fostering right now. And that's not bad to have seasons of rest. And I think yeah. that's what we forget with fostering. And I think that might be another reason people don't get involved is they're like, Oh, this is lifelong. And I'm like, it is, but you're allowed to take breaks. Like if you need to take a year off, take a year off. What I wouldn't want is for someone to take in a child or a young adult or a a baby and then be like in a year, be like, Nope, sorry, no more. I'm done. Move them. Cause that's what we see happening. And it's because Mm -hmm. they weren't ready. And that's something that before you take in somebody, get involved in the community first. Start small. Start volunteering. Start sending meals. Talk with a foster parent. Maybe you'll see like, ooh, okay, I don't think I'm ready emotionally because of my own past. But what I could do is love and, and support this foster family through their journey while I'm just here to, to kind of be a reprieve for them and help them and love on them while they're doing their journey. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good reminder. And it's, it is, it's so important because I think we do see because of social media, which is a great thing. And hello, we both are showing up and sharing on social media, which we are doing for a reason to advocate and to inform yeah. um, and support. But I feel like, yeah, sometimes there's this idea of like, well, I don't want to do it wrong. I I felt that way when I first started fostering. You I will. Like, I know. And I did that. I was like, I just want to be like, I just want to make sure I don't say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And even in the course of like, my four years of fostering, I was like constantly saying it to it. You know, like I was like, I changed so yep. much of the things that I thought from when I started till I ended and still today. I'm like, yeah. so just to well, give ourselves every, that grace. 
Absolutely. And every kid is different too. So what worked with one is might not work with the other. And so you have to learn just like you would with your own kids, learning to adjust to your child. And I think that scares people because they're like, well, you know, and I, I hear this all the time. Well, if they're older, they have more trauma. I'm like, mm, not necessarily. We all have got trauma. Everybody, it doesn't matter what age you are. Even you, we like individually, we have our own trauma. But I think that there is it is hard. And I'm going to be honest, it is hard because your whole life is exposed. You cannot hide for very long in the foster care system. Like you just can't. Everything is exposed. But if your goal is to love whoever comes into your home for however long that is, if it's a day, a week, a month, years, and your goal is just to love that person, that's it. That's enough. You're you're going to make mistakes. You're going to grow. You're going to do things differently in a couple years from now. I mean, I yelled, I screamed, I, I got mad, I got, you know, said bad words. And then as I grew with them, I was like, wow, I shouldn't respond that way. That doesn't work with them. And I shouldn't be yelling. Like, it's not great. But it was that reaction of, I don't know what else to do. I've said it nicely so many times. And then you learn like nobody responds to yelling um, at all, actually. So maybe when we're calm, we can talk through this. And you're going to learn and still do things wrong. I still say things that are not correct. And people are like, well, and I'm like, we can have a difference of opinion. Um, but there's a way to truly care for someone that that is not an opinion. It's it's something we got to do. Mm, love that so much. And I love just like your heart behind everything that you share. I mean, you have so much on your plate and you're still showing up. So the fact too, when you're like, people are like, why aren't you fostering? I was like, Ooh, Ooh, it would take all my Jesus not to reach through that screen and be like, just like, like, do not say that. Like that is not for anyone else to say first and foremost. Um, but you're doing the most. So I want people to be able to follow you and and find the goodness that you're sharing. So where can we find you? What, what can we, how can we get more Dr. Janisha Keating in our lives? (laughs) Um, so on Instagram and TikTok, it's just Dr. Dr. Denisha Keating altogether. And on Facebook, it's Dr. Denisha Space Keating. Um, you can also look my website up, uh, denishakeating.com. I love helping and supporting people and just loving on people and coaching people through the hard because there's so many things that are hard. <laughs> and I think we need people who we can follow and learn from, but also too, like I'm still learning. So I love being able to share things and have conversation um, but I, I won't shy away from the hard. Um, but I also don't like honing in only on the hard. I like being like, here's a good thing. This is why this is good to share. Uh, so that's, that's how you can follow me. I love it. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy and I just really appreciate no. your perspective. Thank, thank you, you for having me. All right. Bye everybody.